Thank you for leading us this morning in worship. You open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We are going to continue our study on growing an authentic community. What does it mean to be the type of church Jesus wants? Because ultimately that's what we want, right? The type of church Jesus wants. Uh, what does that look like and, and how do we pursue that? Galatians 6, 1 through 2. We'll read these first two verses and then we'll ask God to teach us. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord of the church, the head of the church, we confess your lordship this morning. We recognize you are the head and we're not. We confess freely of how privileged it is to be called your child and to be a part of what you're doing on this earth. Lord, I believe there's not a person in here who doesn't recognize that in our humanity, it's pretty easy to become an obstacle at times and pretty easy, Lord, to, to not really pursue what you want or, Lord, to get caught in behaviors that are unpleasing to you. Yet, Lord, you call us to a, a higher life. You call us to a growing intimacy with you and a growing depth of community with one another. We ask, Lord, you'd help us do that. We pray this morning as we look at Galatians 6 that you would teach us what it means to be an authentic community. Help us to look at ourselves through your eyes. Help us to see your church through your eyes. Might that be our grid, God? So that, Lord, this morning what's said would not be with wise and persuasive words, but we a demonstration of your power and of your grace to speak to us as your children. For it's in your name, Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. There's times in the church where maybe a brother or sister in the family of God might be caught in a behavior, might be caught in an attitude. And that's kind of where Paul's going in this, kind of this verse I read. And, and, and his desire is that there would be restoration, that we would seek to restore the wayward brother or sister. Scripture also talks about there's, there's another dynamic of restoration. It's, it's the brother or sister who's caught in sin, caught in trespass, but there's also another need for restoration. It's between a brother and sister or a brother and brother or sister and sister who's caught in a broken relationship. The church needs to be about restoration. Restoring a wayward brother or restoring conflicted relationships. To be an authentic community means we grow in being a restoring community. By implication, we're not perfectly there yet, right? 
Uh, we, we haven't, as a church, any church, is continually growing in this area. Paul gives us instructions how to do this, how to grow. What's the mindset? What does restoration look like? In his context for restoration is the first word of chapter 6. Brethren, it's a family matter. It's brother and it's sister. Verse 10 of chapter 6, he refers to a household. As Christians, we're part of a family, a household of believers. You and I need a family to care for us, to care, to, to help us to grow spiritually. The question is, do you love your church family? If so, care for them. Care for them spiritually. Because you know, as families that we grow up and as parents, as we raise our, fa- our children right now, we, we train them and we teach them to care for each other. And we say to them, you know, speak to each other in love. I mean, don't, don't say things that are hurtful. Speak to one another in love. Spirit-led people walk as a family. And you say, well, what is, if that's a spirit-led person, what does it look like when you're not walking in the spirit? Well, look at verse 26 of chapter 5. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You see, that's not walking in the spirit. Verses 1 through 2 are walking in the spirit. And so you and I are to come alongside each other. We're to help each other to work toward restoration. Because if we don't, who will? Paul says, brethren, sistren, you're a family. Work towards restoration. You and I are part of a restoring community. We need to be a part of that type of community. And what's the need for restoration? Well, we see it because there's one who's caught in a sin. This is a very unique word. I'm going to break down here in a little bit more. I want to talk about something. This person's caught in trespass. At times, the Bible says there's those in the family of God who get caught. They're clearly guilty of trespass and transgression. In other words, there's times that there will be an awareness of sin. We'll be aware of another brother's or sister's sin. It's going to happen. And this plays out in different ways. At times, there's a personal awareness of the individual. They're aware they're caught in sin. They're aware that they're, they're willfully being disobedient, and they'll come and confess it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We need to be a confessing community. There's times that there will be a personal awareness, and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the person will respond, whatever that sin would be. And they'll confess it to a brother. I've heard of testimonies already from multiple times just recently of this taking place in the body. That's a good sign. That's a healthy sign. There's also times a brother, sister, elder, there will be an awareness of sin in another brother's sister's lives. They're caught in sin. Restoration's needed. Need to come alongside such a brother or sister caught in this trespass and help them. So there's awareness of sin from somebody else other than the individual. Then there's times that the resistance of the individual caught in sin, the willful disobedience, the perpetual maybe uh, passing on of the sin is so great 
that there needs to be a community awareness. That would be church discipline, the Bible talks about, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Paul even cautions churches to be aware of sins that affect the whole family. Listen to a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brothers and sisters, it's a family affair, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Underline that word, it's not some people, be patient with everyone, because such were some of you. We, we could be, or maybe were in that situation, but we need to address these things. Titus 3.10-11, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Notice there's steps taken for restoration. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. There's that third part of refusing and rejecting efforts of restoration. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. Turn away from them. So there's warnings that Paul has. He said there's going to be some in the church who need restoration. Keep your eyes open. Be aware that they're there. But do it with patience and do it in a way which seeks to help, not to hurt. That's the big thing of kind of what I think Paul's getting at here. The idea of a believer being trapped in sin is kind of what Paul's saying. He's starting there. He says, you should seek to help restore such a brother. Because there's really two responses when it comes to an awareness of sin, whether it's a personal response or whether it's a brother or sister seeing another person caught in sin. There's really two responses. One's a redemptive response. Upon conviction of the Holy Spirit, the believer discloses his or her own sin by going to the one offended. And they confess it. They ask forgiveness. Or when confronted with sin, the believer submits to a process of listening and agreement leading to repentance that will lead to restored fellowship with God and, if need be, one another. This is the church being the church. When we can confess our sins to each other, when we can go to our brother or sister who we see caught in sin and lovingly seek to restore them. So either we're responding to one another in these ways, also the one needing restoration is responding in a redemptive way, but there's also a second response. I'll call it a non-redemptive response. Upon conviction of the Holy Spirit, the believer denies or he attempts to cover up his or her sin. And when confronted with sin, the believer refuses to listen, to submit or agree with fellow believers to work out reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, Paul talks about the person who willfully rejects confrontation, and I don't mean confrontation in a negative sense, but a healthy confrontation. They willfully reject it. They continue in that behavior. And he said to the church in Corinth, you got somebody in, in, in your midst who's involved in this type of uh, perversion, and he's been addressed, and yet you're letting him continue to do that. There, this needs to be addressed is what Paul's saying. And because there has been a non-redemptive response from the individual, there needs to be a redemptive response from the church. Someone needs to step in and have a healthy response. The purpose of confronting a sinner is to gently restore the sinner to fellowship. And you cannot restore fellowship if there is no fellowship. You can't do redemptive restoration without fellowship. 
The effectiveness or pursuing restoration is directly proportionate to the practice of biblical community. In other words, if you're not loving one another, if you're not seeking to encourage each other on a regular basis, it's awful hard for you to step in all of a sudden and say, hey, I want to help restore you. person's going to go, what are you talking about? Oh, now you step up. If there's not fellowship, if there's not an, an eagerness and a desire to build community continually, it's very difficult to all of a sudden step in and really help a brother or sister. And so don't take just these verses out of context. There's this, that's why we're talking about building authentic community. When we're building authentic community, this, this act of restoration becomes very redemptive and powerful when it takes place in it, that type of uh, environment. An authentic community is a restoring community. Let's look at the nature of restoration. These verses are loaded. Now, there are only two of them. <laughs> and so we got the person caught in a sin. The nature of restoration, the word restore is a really interesting word. John Stott notes that this word restore means to put back in order or to repair. It means to mend. It's the same word used for setting a fractured bone. You got something fractured, you got something broken, you got something that needs mending. Come alongside a person and help mend it. Help take what's fractured. It could be a relationship with another person. It could be they're caught in sin. Help the fractured brother or sister. Help mend them. You might be familiar with the jaws of life when um, those who come alongside, those who've been in a car crash and the crash is so bad that the people are trapped inside. The, those emergency workers come. They come with these, these jaws of life and, and they put it on the vehicle and kind of uh, open it enough to help those trapped inside. That's the picture here. The church is to be the jaws of life that comes and help those caught in sin and to help mend them and to help that which is fractured heal. That's this nature of this word restore. We're to put the broken one or the broken relationship, help put it back together so as to release them to service and freedom. You see verse 2, a little bit more of that. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. There's this idea of bear is that which is weighty, that you and I are to help the caught up one, to help bear their burden. And so we are to come alongside and love them and help them and support them. There's no guarantee they'll respond. But we're not responsible for that. We are responsible if we see such a one caught in sin to come to them. Not go around them. Not tell someone else, hey, go to them. We're called to go to such a one. If you, brethren, see someone caught in a trespass, you are spiritual, restore such a one. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Look at what Jesus says. Paul didn't come up with this on his own. <laughs> if your brother sins... Go and reprove him in private. Key word, in private. If he listens to you, ah, oh, you've won your brother over. That's beautiful. What a beautiful thought. But in the case maybe he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So you go to him in private, the brother or sister says, I don't see anything wrong, I'm, you know, or justifies it, whatever it would be. 
Jesus says the next thing is to bring another witness or two. Because the goal is if he listens to you, the idea being confesses and agrees with it, you've won your brother over. But now after those efforts are taken towards restoration, Jesus says in verse if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Why? Why would that be such a harsh step? Because the goal is restoration. Each step is always meant to help restore the brother. And the third step is harsh. It's hard. But the goal is to restore such a one. You can't, you can't ignore it in that sense. You're seeking to restore somebody. Jesus gave these steps of church discipline. And the goal and the process was positive. It was constructive. That's what they were trying to attempt. And that's what Paul's saying here. He didn't have in mind we're to be the righteous police to walk around looking for anything we can find to, cut, to kind of cut up each other. Matter of fact, the book of Galatians is written to a people who thought they were the righteous police, the Pharisees, the legalists of the group. And he's saying that's not at all what he has in mind. He said this is a family matter. It's about helping restore and mend such a one. What is wrong in a believer's life, maybe in a believer's relationships, are to be helped set straight, not neglected, to be exposed openly, but out of loving concern to be helped restored. That's the nature of what it means to restore. For example, if a brother or sister is addicted to something, you should seek to help them. If someone is working an excessive amount of time and neglecting their family, you should come alongside them and help them. If a man's involved in a relationship you could call shady, then confront him gently. If a sister has missed corporate worship for over a month and you know it, you should call her and see what's going on. Be a person who cares for your brothers and sisters, not one who's trying to be everyone's accountability partner. I'm not talking about that. But who really comes alongside and seeks to help. Ultimately, we know only Jesus can forgive. Only he can restore. Only he can put together the broken jalopies of our lives. But our job is to just come alongside and help to point them to Jesus. Because ultimately, he's the one who restores. When the woman was caught in adultery, if John 8 would be a good passage to read sometime, that Jesus was not interested in destroying the woman, while everybody else seemed to be. He was interested in restoring her. Be concerned for your broken brother and sister. And like Jesus, lead them to restoration so they would go and sin no more, which is what Jesus said to the woman. That's the nature of what it means to restore. But notice Paul talks about the restorer. How about the person going to them? Well, look what, he, what does he say about this person? Restore such a one in a spiritual gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. First of all, the restorer should be spiritual. It's this idea of a person be consistently walking in the Spirit. This person should not be engaged with behaviors you find in verse 26. Boasting, challenging one another, and envying each other. Now, we kind of like Matthew 7, 1, if we're honest. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Verse 5 isn't our favorite verse, though. <laughs> we like to stop at verse 1. 
Verse 5 says in Matthew 7, first take the log out of your own eye. Let's start there, Jesus says. Only then will you be able to help your brother who's got the speck in his own eye. If you don't take the log out, you cannot see clearly. The brother or sister who's spiritual has dealt with the log first. They're walking in the spirit. They're walking in obedience. Unless you think you're too good, look at verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I mean, if you're looking at your brother and sister and saying, that's stuff I would never do. They're kind of beneath me. I'm up here, and they're down there. Lest you think that, you're already caught in your own sin. Ooh, didn't see that one. The tables are turned. I mean, if you think you're too great, and you're too proud, and you're looking down at a brother caught in sin, you've deceived yourself. You're the one caught also. And so we got to be careful the brother who's spiritual is a humble brother or sister. They're walking in the Spirit. And Jesus urging us when we're involved in addressing others in regard to their sin, we are to see our own hearts first and then act. He's ruling out pride is what he's doing. And only the person who humbly repents can help a brother or sister be restored. So they too would repent. Spiritual restorer's heart must be right. It must be walking in the Spirit. We're also told the restorer should be gentle. Remember, be aware that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, there'll be the fruit of gentleness. That's evident of it. So we shouldn't be surprised. Paul says you need to do this gently. True restorers come with compassion in their hearts and concern in their voices. Their words, though firm when they need to be, are loaded with kindness and care. And they do it with the least amount of pain possible. They don't come bulldozing people. They don't come beating people up with the Bible. Yes, the Bible's true. I'm not saying that. But they come with gentleness. Galatians 5, 5, or 5, 15. Back up, if you would, a chapter and some verses. He says, you shall love your neighbors yourself, verse 14. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed with one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That word but in verse 16 takes us back to verse 15. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be biting and devouring each other and consuming each other. That's not being a spiritual man. That's walking in the flesh. The restorer is to be gentle. He is to seek to restore a brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness. The restorer also, we're told, should be careful. Looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. So you're helping a brother or sister. They're caught in sin. What could happen to you? Well, first of all, verse 3, you could think you're way beyond that. You could be caught in slander. Talking about it to other people. Always be aware, you and I are not immune from sin. The tempter tempted the caught one, and the tempter will tempt the restorer. That's what's going on here. The tempter is relentless to tempt everyone to sin. And in coming alongside, we need to be careful that we don't get stuck in the same trap or another trap. And when it comes to helping to restore a brother or sister, I think it's 
kind of important maybe to lay these things out. You're responsible and I'm responsible to speak the truth in love. To be humble and gentle and to seek redemptive response. You're not responsible for the sinner's response. You, you can't take that on you. That Only they can respond that way. You're not responsible for punishment nor vindication. That belongs to God alone. And you and I can be sure God's truth will prevail in his time. That's why we can speak the truth in love. Because we can be sure his truth will prevail. So let's do our part, and we'll let God do his. We just need, we're told, to restore such a one in gentleness, and to be careful as we do it. Now there's a time, unfortunately, when a really difficult, hard step has to be taken. I've had to take it. As a pastor with people who've got to the point where they're willfully walking in disobedience, willfully causing divisiveness, and after doing the first two steps, just continued on. We had to enact church discipline. But I want to say a few things about that. Because at times, a person you are lovingly seeking to restore, you've done these first attempts the way they're supposed to be done, and there's a brother or sister you're trying to help restore a relationship, or maybe help restore a relationship. Church restoration happens only if there's been a one-on-one attempt to restore. Then if there's been resistance with no confession, then you take a witness or two to restore them. And then if they continue to resist, continue to persist, and this behaviors, this prideful resistance is leading to threats of divisiveness, Doctrinal integrity, purity, and reputation of the church. In every case, the goal is restoration. Now, admittedly, the instructions are singular and clear for resolving personal offenses. But throughout the New Testament, the instructions for dealing with acts of public disobedience are a little bit more varied. And it's especially important there be much prayer, counsel, clear application of scriptures needed. And this should never be rushed but be sought with prayerful wisdom. And that's important because, again, the goal is restoration. Seek to restore a wayward brother. And there's really two facets of church discipline in that sense. One is kind of what we all go through, this formative sense. In other words, this continual training of believers that we receive from the Word and the body of Christ as our lives are being transformed into Christ's likeness. We're continually a part of formative discipline, if I may. We're all a part of that. We all want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the scriptures discipline us. They, they help us. But it's not just formative that needs to be a part of our church, any church, but restorative. This corrective care taken by the body of Christ in matters of unrepentant sin in a brother or sister's life. And it's clear when a brother not willing to repent or seek reconciliation. And what's the foundation of church discipline? Grace. Is it not? The grace of God? That you and I can't look down at a brother and sister and say, I would never do that. Paul says, such were some of you. You were there one time. But by grace, God who's rich in mercy, it's grace. There was a young couple, active part of the youth group, and uh, they graduated high school, and, and they'd been dating for several years. And um, 
they unfortunately had premarital sex. They were really grieved by it, thank God. Came to me, came, I was a youth pastor at the time, came to the senior pastor and confessed it. Obviously, it would be evident because she was pregnant too. They confessed it to us, and so we thought about it and the situation, there were other dynamics in play. He said, What should we do? We said, What do you think you should do? And they said, We think we don't want, we think maybe we should confess it to the church because we know it's going to come out, we know it's going to be visible. He said, then let's do that. So there was a meeting on a Wednesday night. We called the church meeting. We, nobody said what it was about. Just said it's a significant event for us as a church. We need to be together. This is to help to support. Those came, heard a tearful, repentant confession. I shouldn't have been shocked. But how did the church respond? How did those who were there respond? Did they get up and leave? Nope. They came around the brothers and sisters. They came around them. Loved them. Prayed over them. They helped restore them. And what was the foundation of that time and that moment? Grace. It was a beautiful picture of grace. And celebration of wayward brother and sister who confessed. And I believe it was a significant part of their restoration. That's the foundation of church discipline. As you and I consider approaching church discipline, especially if you're a leader, maybe a parent, we need to have a childlike humility. There needs to be a deep concern for holiness. There needs to be a passion for the hurting. We need forgiving hearts. Because the goal is restoration. Now you might be saying, okay, I know somebody right now as I sit here, I, I, God's already put it in their mind, I need to go to them. Or maybe you know of a conflicted relationship. You've talked to maybe both parties and you know something not right here. And you're like, I, I, I need to be a part of restoring. What do I do? This is a legitimate question. Because it's, it's rubber meets the road stuff. What do I do when I leave here to try, try to help be a brother or sister who helps restore, helps, not hurts? How do I do that? Well, here's some steps. Hopefully they're helpful. I try to take them. One is pray. Just pray and pray. And I would add this. Pray this way. Thank God for what he's going to do. Thank God for what he's about to do. Because you know he's working, right? I mean, when we pray, it's not like we're like, God, do you, do you know what's going on? He's working. We're just coming alongside what he's already doing. And so pray, thank God for what he's going to do. And I would add this, and maybe this is just me because it's tempting to do, but don't assume anything. Don't assume motives. Don't assume details. Don't do that. Walk in with an open heart, an open mind, a big heart, desirous to restore. And ask your brother or sister or brothers and sisters in there, say, could we agree upon something? Could we seek together 
that God would be glorified in this conversation. Could we agree to that? We talked about that some weeks ago. We, we tend to forget that step. We like to sit down and we, there's tension, right? You've been in those conversations, a lot of tension. Maybe some resistance, a lot of un- uncomfortable, been there. But talk to your brother or sister. Say, could we agree upon something right now in this conversation that we would both seek God to be glorified? I really haven't run into anybody but maybe one or two who said, maybe. Most everyone in humility would say, yeah, that would be a good idea. Come together under the Lordship of Christ. As you gather together in Jesus' name, affirm your mutual submission to them. Admit you too are under his Lordship. And together you're journeying together. That in all things he be praised. Enter into the light. All behaviors, attitudes, whatever they would be, seek to bring them into the light. Most sin is exasperated by the reactions and responses to the discovery and the confrontation of the sin. Don't do that. Get it all on a table, so to speak. Get it out in the light. So we can listen as the restorer. We can agree and then confess. It's a good model for us. Submit to God's truth. Invite your brother or sister, or brother or sisters if there's a relational fracture, to submit their lives and thoughts before God's word. To open it and say, here's what God's truth says. Are you and I willing to submit to that? Obviously, if they're not, that's a different discussion. Because your efforts of restoration at that point are probably not going to be able to have much effectiveness. You might need to take the next step. But hopefully that's not the case. And in most cases, if we do it right, it's not the case. It's just important we do it right. And then together, commit to prayer to act, to respond in obedience, and to continue this pathway of restoration. Restitution might be needed. There might be some other steps that need to be taken. Often there are. And pray that those steps would be taken. Acts of obedience would be taken. I find it helpful when these hard things happen to use a sandwich method. And it's my first application. Lovingly come alongside brothers and sisters caught in sin. Lovingly help to restore them. Don't ignore it, but humbly come before them. And if you're the person, and if you're the one caught in sin, humbly receive it. Humbly receive the love and appreciate the effort somebody made because they cared enough about you. Humbly receive it. But lovingly come alongside, make it unequivocally clear you're there to help, not to hurt. And so come in a spirit of gentleness. How, how do you do that? And one of the ways I try to do it is I say this sandwiches, and that is to bring encouragement and affirmation. I love you. I firm you're my brother. I firm you're my sister. We have one Lord, one faith. I affirm that. And make that first top of the bun encouraging, affirming. Then hit the meat, the hard stuff, the stuff that has to be addressed. 
And then close with the bottom part of the bun. More encouragement. I'm here. You can do this. God will be honored. And so if we remember the sandwich, it helps. Don't just come throwing burgers. Nobody likes to be beat up. And it doesn't do a whole lot of good to help people, to help restore them. Lovingly come alongside. If you're the caught one again, respond. Two, pray for your wayward brothers and sisters. Pray for those with conflicted relationships. If you're going to talk, talk to God. Talk to Him about it. That they would repent. That they'd willingly submit to God's Word. That they would be restored. And maybe ask God, am I the one? Am I the one who needs to come alongside them? If it is, God, send me in a spirit of gentleness. Help me to be careful not to be tempted. Help my brother or sister to be mended. Pray for your wayward brothers and sisters. And encourage one another toward Christ-like living. Always encourage them. This is kind of like on the front end of it. This is like preventative. And I didn't think of this idea, by the way. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today. You say, well, why would the author of Hebrews be so concerned that we heap up encouragement so much so that he says day after day as long as it's called today? Why would the author of Hebrews say that? Why would he be so concerned that we make it a priority in our conversations and our lives with one another to be intentionally encouraged? Why would he say that? That's a really good question. And he answered it. So that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's preventative. That's on the front end when we encourage each other to pursue righteousness. When we affirm attempts that are made. When we look at one another and say, you know what? The way you dealt with that situation, that was great. What a great model. Those times somebody does something that you applaud in a good way. Affirm them, encourage them. Those times someone's in a really difficult situation, come alongside and say, you can do this. We can honor God in this. I know it's hard. I know you're tempted, but we can do this. And so seek to encourage one another on the front end so your brother and sister might not be caught in sin, that relationships might not be fractured. You see, to be a growing, authentic community requires humility. It requires a commitment to a pathway of restoration whether there's one caught in a sin or those have a fractured relationship, in both cases, there needs to be a commitment from those in the community towards this pathway of restoration. You see, it's God's design. It's God's plan that his church would be a restoring community to the praise and glory of his name. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. I, I never cease to be amazed how instructive it is. How practical. And yes, challenging. There's a lot of parts about this morning's message and what your word says to us that we'd have to admit just always isn't really easy. This thing called community. 
takes effort. Even Paul said, make every effort to build unity. And we know it takes effort. And some of it's not always the easiest effort. But Lord, you've given us direction this morning. How to be a part of what you're building, which is your church. Help each of us, God, to be gentle, walk in the Spirit, to be careful as we identify a brother or sister caught in sin, as we identify brothers and sisters caught in broken relationships, might we seek to help restore our family, knowing that as we do that the way you wanted us to do it, your church is built up and your name is honored. That's what we seek above all, that you'd be glorified. And together we pray in Jesus' name.